0: Incoming transmission from an unknown source. It seems to be urgent, patching them through. They're calling themselves the Holonet Marauders. Welcome back to the Holonet Marauders podcast. Uh, This week, we will be diving into a little bit more of The Mandalorian. So since we last spoke about The Mandalorian, we've had two chapters. Chapter 11, The Heiress and chapter 12, The Siege. So as always, my name is Jamie and with me...
1: AJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Before we uh, start, Matt, my friends for some reason call you, uh, what do they call you? Matt the Cat that listened to this mm-hmm. podcast and I don't really know why, but...
2: Matt the Cat.
1: Yeah, so maybe <laughs> that's your new, your new podcast nickname. That's me, I'm Matt the Cat.
0: Okay, let's get things started talking about the heiress. So, Kat is out of the bag. Bo-Katan is back. Well, for the first time in live action, but she is back in the Star Wars universe, and it is so exciting to see her again.
1: The way... I didn't even know going into it that she was going to be in this season, really, let alone that episode. So that was a super surprise to me. Um, her showing up when Din and the baby were in the little pit with the... What was the beast called?
0: The Mama Corps
1: the mama core she you know her and her two buddies there showed up and her theme was blasting i I love her new theme
2: we'd heard rumors about bo katan appearing in the mandalorian for quite some time uh deadline actually reported it which is a pretty big deal when deadline reports like a rumor it's pretty much confirmed um but it was really interesting
0: no, I'm mean, sorry to butt in, but I remember when they were like announcing that, they're like, oh, Katie Sackhoff going to be Bo-Katan. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And everyone seemed really excited. I did not realize until after she was in the show that she was the voice actress. Had no yeah, idea. Well, Literally had was no what, idea.
2: The reporter, the report sounded like way too perfect. Like they were like, oh, yeah, Katie Sackhoff is returning to be Bo-Katan. And it's, you know, it's like in live action. Like, what are you talking about? That's nuts like it just sounded too good to be true and then they pulled nailed, it off
1: she nailed it too yeah i mean yeah, of course for, i don't know if she's done other you know live action acting but if, or if she was just a voice actress but she was no, she was she, amazing she was in
2: Battlestar galactica Battlestar galactica for years oh, uh, that's like her big claim to fame um but yeah i mean she's been playing the character for like over 10 years now get Think about that for a second. That's so interesting that you start off as a voice actor, like playing a character in a, in a cartoon, and then you transition over to actually playing them on screen. That's gotta absolutely
0: be does. like, that's actually even same. think of
2: another character that that's done that. No, I mean, yeah, well Saw Gerrera, but he wasn't played by the same person. So no. really, I can't think of somebody who's made the transition from voice acting, the character to live action, acting the character that I can think of. So interesting.
1: Plot wise with Bo being back, I wrote a little blog post uh, about a week ago now, a little less, a little less than a week ago about how Bo-Katan being back kind of changes the whole scope of the show. And there's a whole new goal that I can see happening. And that's Bo getting the dark saber with the help of Mando. And then, them reclaiming Mandalore with, we don't even know who's occupying Mandalore right now or what's going on there. But what are are your guys' thoughts on that?
0: I love how that's uh, concept-wise. I mean, uh, I love that as like a theory because like, as someone who doesn't read the leaks, Matt, um, <laughs> I don't know a lot about what's going to be happening in the future of this, and like I'm not really like in tune with it. And so, I love the idea that Bo is literally trying to get back to Mandalore and retake it as it is her rightful place to retake Mandalore and just reshape that world. And that would be utterly amazing if the end goal of the show, The Mandalorian, is to retake Mandalore and make Once things, and make- for all. yeah, that's what yes. okay. I
2: keep saying a lot of people complaining, like, oh, I don't want the scope. Skull- of the, I don't want the scale of the show to be like too big. I don't want it to like be this big, grandiose adventure that plays into like the main plot of the shows and the movies so far. But I, I think you, ha- if you're going to be talking about the reclamation of Mandalore, it has to be in the show called The Mandalorian, right? Exactly. Like that's, yeah, you can't. I feel like that's too on the nose, The Mandalorian, to not feature that plot point.
1: Yeah, and I, I
2: never think really that realized it, would be it.
0: Too grandiose, either. I don't oh, think
2: sorry. so either. I mean, it plays. It's about the Mandalorian. Like, yeah. of course he'd want to reclaim his his planet. Of course, that's like it a, took, that would be a big thing.
1: It took this episode for me to realize that too. With like that, that could be the possible ending of the show, or you know, the end game of the show, as I worded it in my blog. And yeah. I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. I mean, I guess it needed to take Mandalore herself, Bo Katan, to show up to. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I
0: think that a big piece of it is the only Mandalorians we've seen in the show so far are part of just Din's small covert, which we didn't know what the scope of Mandalorians in the galaxy was at this point until that time. So for the past year, we thought all Mandalorians post what the events in Rebels are just like Din Djarin. And that's it. But seeing bo yep. and everyone else really gives us a wider look at all of it. Again, an expanded look at the entire galaxy of there are multiple groups out there. And I love how Bo-Katan just shoves it right back in Din Djarin's face saying, uh, no, you guys are wrong, and this is the way. The way that she delivers, yeah. this is the way, I was honestly cheering. I have never been really a fan of the phrase, this is the way. I think it's kind of ridiculous. I will say it from time to time if it, like, makes sense. And the way that bo said, this is the way, was groundbreaking for me. It just made so much I sense, agree. that smug delivery back in him, Like, okay, take your way and shove it up you know where. Oh, it was so good.
2: Dank Farrick. My, yeah, thank Farrick.
0: Thanks, Farrick.
2: My favorite thing is literally Dinjar and saying to the Mandalore's face, you're not a Mandalorian. I think that is and that's a detail that only we would get. People who haven't watched the cartoons wouldn't understand, like, huh, like that, the the irony of that line is just like rewarding to the people who pay attention to the entire canon you know
1: exactly it pays off that we that we've taken the time to watch the animated shows and i mean those were exactly. you know those paid off in their own ways but now they're paying paying off in um, this way and I, I can't imagine what it's like to not know who bo katan is or any of these you know ahsoka showing up possibly next week m- most likely showing up um and not knowing like, about that's these characters yeah
2: i watch i watch these episodes with my dad and he is just totally and completely has absolutely <laughs> no idea about any of the, you know, outside of the movie's canon. So for him, Ahsoka isn't going to be as big a deal. I'm like, I'm going to be geeking out. I'm going to be sitting like across the room from him, just absolutely losing my mind. And he's going to be like, oh, yeah. It's
1: a I Jedi. think a cool way to think about that that I sort of realized recently was if you're a fan of Star Wars, but you haven't seen the animated shows, you're sort of like, I guess, Din Djarin in a way where you're meeting these characters with him and you're kind of going through the experience and from his point of view. So that's kind yeah. of a unique, that's a unique way you can think of it if you if you haven't seen these shows and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I agree. So the way that I've really been showing this show so far is through the lens of Din Djarin and his lens of the universe. And so you don't necessarily need to know everything about the Star Wars universe because they are telling you what needs to be known as you go through. And some people might think that you do need more background information or they need to like, hammer it home more points and like this season, they've done a fantastic job of really being like, this is clearly the era we're in. After the Death Star blew up the second one, um, the New Republic (laughs) is here in the outer rim. Like it's very clearly setting. This is where we are in the timeline. And I just hope that it is making it make more sense for people who may not have seen all of the expanded media or have seen majority, at least all the movies, but are confused with the timeline because this timeline is absolutely insane to track. If you're not like really, really like elbows deep in it all the time,
2: right? It's like yeah. two hundred plus episodes of things that you have to watch, and you know you can't expect everybody to to do that. So you know, introducing these characters and then having because that's another thing, like they did with Darth Maul, for instance, where they just shoved Darth Maul into Solo, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, just ask your nerdy friends what that's all about, and they'll tell you." And it's like exactly, it's like the the age of Google. Where you no longer have to really dive into exposition to explain things to people where they can just go like, why was Maul in Solo? And then they can Google it because they were like, oh, I thought he was dead. And then they give you like all of the information you need right there. It's, It's a totally different age that we live in right now where everybody is so interconnected and information is at our fingertips that they just no longer need to worry about that kind of continuity.
0: It also reflects back. It's like, oh, this happened. And then it's like, okay, I'll go back and watch that. And so then it opens the door of, okay, I want to learn more about that. Let me watch all of that content, read all of that content and figure it out from there. And so like, it's good. We're living in that age of connectivity, but also like exploration. And it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it finally took it finally took this um, for my friend who I've been trying to get the to watch the Clone Wars for years. Um, you know, he's finally gonna maybe go check it out. So, you know, better yeah, late I- than never.
0: I feel like we've all had some sort of personal connection with a friend or even family that, like, isn't really as in tune with it as, like, we knew. You, or you thought you, that they knew a lot about it but didn't really necessarily know. And they're asking questions of, like, oh, wait, where did this person come from? Be like, oh, wait, the child actually isn't Yoda? That's actually come up a few times. And so, like, it is, like, confusing. But it's also funny to be able to, like, explain this to other people. And it's, it's funny how the people also, like, want to, like, know more about it. So, like, they might have, like, a story, like, finding out, like, recently. Um, my my brother and my sister-in-law's family, they just reached out to me saying, Hey, we're gonna start watching The Mandalorian because Sasha Banks is in it. Because they're huge WWE fans and they know her from that and they literally wanted to watch The Mandalorian for that. Now like my brother like knows like a lot about Star Wars, but he was asking me so many questions about it too, and I'm like, Yeah, happy to like explain it all to you and like I was FaceTiming him the other day and everyone's like, Wait, I have a question and I'm like, I didn't know I had this many answers. It's ridiculous how much you realize you retain also.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. You're kind of like you're you're kind of like your friend's knowledge keeper, librarian, Star Wars. sort
1: of. Star Wars professor.
2: Yeah, the yeah. Star Wars professor in your life. Just ask them the questions and they'll, and they'll teach you all about it. We have to now give lessons for people.
0: Was there anything else we wanted to talk about with the Eris episode? Anything about, like, the planet or the Mon or Frog Lady and Frog Man?
2: Yeah, something interesting about this planet, Trask, right? Or is it Moon of Trask? It's the Moon like the water moon Trask. of Trask. Yeah,
0: well, I think it um, is.
1: Yeah, it's Trask in the system of Ibin. Kalyden. Kalyden, okay. Ibin. okay. So, so the moon is called Trask?
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. So it's not an Endor situation. All right. Whatever the moon is, um, the, one of the things I noticed about this that I haven't seen anybody talk about is the fact that the Quarren and the Moncala seem to be getting along very nicely. And if anybody knows anything about Mon Calamari, the planet, the Quarren and the Moncala both hail from that planet and they, they do not get along. The Quarrens actually don't really get along with a lot of people, but the Moncala they hate the most. And I just found that pretty interesting to see Quarren and Moncala doing their own thing, you know, walking around existing together without, you know, making a big stink, having a big fight about it. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know if that reflects the atmosphere on Mon Cala post Return of the Jedi, but at least on this planet, for sure. They've kind of, cause it's like a settler planet. So they've kind of had to put aside yeah. this differences to build a colony together, I guess.
0: That's the way that it kind of seems. We don't know much about how Trask was founded or any of the communities on that planet. It really does seem though that there's a lot of um, old Imperial things everywhere. So like the walker, that's the crane that grabs the Razor Cust out of the water. But, like, it, obviously there's no imperial presence there anymore, so that's good, so that's gone. But we don't know, like, where all these people came from, because it's not just, like, the Mancala and the Korans there, because there's also a lot of humans and other assorted aliens as well, like, like Frogman, for example, he's there. What's he doing there all right. by himself? But... Sir Frog. We, yeah, he's... We don't know much about how this community was founded. Like you said, it does sound like a lot of settlers and refugees, and so it it comes down to, like... It's a desperate time, and so they just need to get together in order to survive, um, which is also, like, a common theme across the galaxy, it seems.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: I guess the last little bit, the yeah, the last little bit about this episode I just wanted to touch upon was the reunion of Frog Lady and Frog Man. That was just one of the most, like, touching little reunions we've probably ever seen in Star Wars, which is Absolutely. crazy. Lovely. because. We, we barely know anything about them, but we love that they had their little happy ending and they have at least one little polywog there ready to go. And it's just like, oh, this is so adorable. And it's just so sweet. It was just like, so nice to see.
2: Yeah, and the music was great too when they were reuniting. This episode probably yeah. has the best music.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. The Marshall and this, I think, have, have yeah. the best music, yeah.
2: But this season has been just killing it with the music so far. I love it.
1: So that brings us to the latest episode, which was Chapter 12, The Siege.
0: No relation, obviously, to The Siege of Mandalore. And the only Mandalorian we see is Din Djarin in this episode. So it was very interesting that they chose Siege as the title of the episode. But I mean, they did like take an entire Imperial base. But still, interesting that The Siege was the name of the episode
2: interesting that they used the title the siege for this episode instead of of course saving it for our perfect prediction later when they retake mandalore you know yeah exactly
0: uh, the siege of mandalore part two
1: yeah right exactly so in this in this episode we're reunited with grief and uh caradun and even the mithril from episode one of chapter one of the whole show and it's awesome to see navarro you know thriving in since uh kicking out the imperials and you know cleaning themselves up and we were all talking about earlier about how much time has passed because there's a statue of ig11 in the town square everything looks nice and even matt was just saying earlier grief has a, a gray beard
2: yeah so i think it's weird because the timeline in this show is in my opinion a little wonky of course like i said I said this earlier: is the the fact that they were traveling to Trask sublight from Tatooine could mean that some time has passed, but enough time for grief's beard to turn gray is another story. Maybe he just decided to stop dyeing it. Maybe that's the story behind that.
0: That's possible. Maybe they shot up the hairdressing studio on Navarro yeah. during that. But he thing.
1: he didn't even have a beard. I mean, I know you can grow a beard, in a, you know, depending who you are in the. We're looking at a GIF right now in our little chat. He just has a mustache from season one. Yeah, it's
2: just a mustache, and now he's got like this full gray, or not full, but you know, pretty, pretty substantial gray beard. It's just interesting to think about how much time has passed because they kind of build this season as like a direct continuation of season one, where like no time has passed, where we're just continuing the story, and there's no you know difference. Yeah. But then you,
0: but then you look at how much uh, the settlement on Navarro has developed, and. There's so much that's been redone between like the entire like a uh, main way for the shops and whatnot. Everything there is revamped. It looks bright. It looks vibrant. People are happy just being around. Constable Zuvio's down there just chilling. The entire yep. school—that's where the shootout happened. And so it's it's crazy that there's a school in there and it's so organized and all those kids look well cared for, well fed. They're all clean, and it's just like that kind of thing wouldn't happen if it, this was happening like two weeks later, not even. It's like, how are all right. these children so well put together? That's the most difficult thing to get put together is having a child ready for school and all of them all at once. It's ridiculous. I will say that protocol, Jordan, that's teaching the class, I absolutely love that. That may have been one of my favorite parts of the episode. Um, the entire classroom scene between grief, just leaving baby there in the first place. And Din's just like, no, no, don't do that. And he's like, no, nah, nah, it's fine. Leaving a baby yeah. in the classroom stealing the cookies the droid talking just, about the different hyperspace routes without throughout the galaxy we got a solo mention again i live for every single mention of this movie solo and it was just ah, so good
1: so was the the classroom was the bar yeah yeah
2: okay that's what i thought that's what because he says at the beginning he's like i'm surprised this place is still standing or something like yeah, that.
0: yeah there's a big wide shot at the beginning of when they walk into the classroom um of the bar itself and instead of obviously liquor being behind the counter, it's like interestingly, it's a bunch of globes, and so it's like, oh, which planet is that? Because it's not like the galaxy <clears> is a globe. Right. <laughs> so there's like multiple different globes of planets, and so they have that's an interesting set direction. So I maybe mean, this was just for the geography class. It seems like all that's being taught in this school is a geography of the galaxy. But whatever, at least they're learning something.
2: Geography of the galaxy. <laughs> that's what, would what you I call would say. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what it would be. Geography of the galaxy. Maybe galaxyology. Geo
2: means Earth. Yeah, galaxyology. I don't know.
0: Galaxyology.
1: Speaking of of geography and globes, one thing I've noticed in a couple of rewatches is, um, of all the episodes, is that the use of maps this season. So in episode one of this season, chapter, chapter nine, Marshall, we see R5 project a map of Tatooine, and we've never really seen anything like that, and it, it looks really cool. And in this episode, we see the Mithril in in his office there, his accounting office. They bring up a map, and they look they're like, oh, here's the base where we're going and all that, and it's it's super cool to see the use of maps.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, because huh. these planets have to be really small. Because, like, when uh, Pelimoto is talking about uh, Mos Pelgo, she's like, oh, it's over here, and we're over here. And it's like, that's quite a substantial distance. Like, that's a long distance to travel all the way across the planet. So, Tatooine must be pretty small. Most of these planets must be pretty small. Like, can you imagine if they're, like, chilling on Coruscant and they pull up a map and they're like, we're here and we need to get all the way over here. And then you just, like, go there. Like, Coruscant feels so expansive Ah. that, I don't know, like, traveling just, like, casually on a speeder halfway across the planet just doesn't seem possible. So the size, and that's of pretty place. much what
1: Mando does. Like, I don't yeah. know. It, and when he goes from Mos Eisley to Mos Pelgo, it took, looked like it took like two days, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't say. Yeah. But.
2: And the green zone on Navarro looks like a pretty substantial chunk of the planet. It looks like a continent's worth of land.
0: The funniest part about that is like apparently Cara herself like muscled that one into uh, civility also. So she made sure that that entire area was secure. So. That's a little bit insane.
1: Speaking of Cara Dune, Jamie, you brought up earlier, you pointed out to Matt and I that her belt and the badge she receives at the end of the episode is very similar to Cobb Vanth's belt.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this was something that I would not have realized if I wasn't in tune with any sort of cosplay things um, because other people have like mentioned it previously that there is, a, there is an actual martial badge or belt buckle in this sense. Cobb Band has a belt buckle that is red and white. It's uh, mainly white with red stripes. They're inconsistent. And then I was noticing during the rewatch that Cara Dune also has a belt buckle. It's not exactly the same size as it, but it has that same type of pattern with the white background and the red stripes. And then at the very end of the episode, that, um, that X-Wing pilot gives her a New Republic Marshal badge with the Rebel starbird and then the stars around it. And then also underneath, very slightly, you can see it, it's the red and white stripes. So it's signifying that it's a New Republic marshal, just not just a marshal of that planet. So there's this mini faction that's kind of growing of marshals within the outer room. And so we don't know anything about this. It's not really like talked about, like do they talk to each other? Like does Cobb Vanth know who Cara Dune is because she's also a marshal? Do they have like Zoom calls <laughs> with each other? Like what's going on? But apparently it's it's a thing that the marshals are on the same wavelength, and that is a badge that shows that you're a marshal. Not just the new one that she got, but the belt buckle that she had as well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's super interesting that we've had two marshals already in through four episodes this season. It's kind of a, you know, why didn't they use different words or something for it? Or, you know, like you said, maybe there's a whole faction of, you know, marshal of a city or something that we didn't know about, especially on the outskirts in the, the Outer Rim.
2: Yeah, it's definitely signifying that the outer rim is kind of it's getting its act together, you know? Yeah. Like uh, yeah. You, you see these kind of lawless places start to get sheriffs and marshals and you see the new republic kind of being far away from all of that, uh, but overseeing it and you know, giving giving everybody a little badge, being like, "Hey, you know, here's this little here's this little you insignia, go. you know." Yeah. Call us if you so need no. us. We're just like no. getting,
0: getting like the word out there, kind of being like, hey, we know that you're doing all the, the hard work, but we just want to slap our logo on it and then say, yeah. hey, we, we helped. That's, that's a big chunk of it, I feel. Um,
1: that's the new Republic for you. So now we'll get into the, the meat of the episode, if you will, the, uh, when they get to the base and what we find in the base.
2: Okay, yeah. I mean, it's gray where I am in terms of like, what is this? that they're stumbling upon? What is this experiment? Now, obviously, when Dr. Pershing is talking about blood transfusions, you don't really see blood transfusions turning people into crazy, you know, creepy monsters that you keep in a jar. So obviously, or at least to me, obviously, those cloners on the desk and those weird vat things, whatever they are, I think are some kind of genetically engineered creatures. Um, I don't think they're you know, the volunteers that Pershing talks about having problems with blood transfusions, but I think all of this really ties together in they're experimenting with the force, basically in putting science where science doesn't belong as it is. And Star Wars has always had a history of you can't really science the force because it's, it just doesn't mesh. And I think that's kind of what they're doing now it's purposefully showcasing look the empire is doing these really unnatural creepy experiments and we want you to kind of tie that with what the first order and obviously palpatine is doing in the unknown regions right now uh what snoke is a strand cast they're also making strand casts and i think the parallels are too similar you have the snoke theme playing when they look into the jars you have people with these au- very obvious Kaminoan clone patches on their shoulders. So you know that they're trying to invoke cloning. They're not just trying to invoke, hey, these guys work with blood. No, they're working with clones, you know? So genetically engineered monsters is where I'm seeing this going. They're, there's like just a whole bunch that they seem to be doing. They're doing dark troopers, they're doing clones, they're doing blood transfusions.
1: I definitely think, and you sort of talked me into this, that. They are, I always thought they were doing clones, and that sort of paves the way to the whole Snoke thing in the sequels. Maybe not directly. Um, we can talk about reasons why later. And it also ties into Moff Gideon wanting to do blood infusions with himself, with someone else. We don't really know yet. Right. But, and
2: in my theory is that it's definitely for himself. I think once he's got the Darksaber, he's going to be trying to, you know, He's going to want to become the Mandalore, basically. He's going to want to become like pre-Vizsla, where, or no, sorry. He's going to want to become Tar-Vizsla in that, uh, you know, a Jedi who also wields the Darksaber. Can you imagine? We kind of talked about that when we were talking about the previous episode, who who controls Mandalore right now? And I kind of see that as Moff Gideon. Controls Mandalore, or at least wants to think he does. He has the dark saber, so that's like a number one. Obviously, it's probably still the Empire or some kind of imperial faction. Where yes. is where is Mandalore? Is that in the Outer Rim? Mandalore is in the Outer Rim, so and that's where we are. That's where Mandal the Mandalorian is firmly set in only the Outer Rim. We don't go anywhere else.
0: And I'm glad that they so, haven't really gone into the mid rim, inner rim yet. It's really showing I mean, at least at the end of this current episode, but the whole the the core worlds don't believe what's going on out here, which really just adds to the whole the core is totally disconnected from the outer rim, yeah so that's that's just a different topic though
2: well, that's it like that's another thing that ties into them kind of setting up for the first order, right? Like that was a big thing of how the first order rose to power. It wasn't just you know some of the senators. In the New Republic secretly funding them and doing all these things and the centrists and whatnot. But it was also like people didn't believe that the First Order could rise to power, that the Empire was still around. And I think, again, the talking at the end went with with Dune is signifying, like, look, these, the New Republic is blind. They're, they're already growing, you know, pretty
1: stagnant. I think I, prior to this episode, I thought maybe... Gideon did control Mandalore like you said because he has the Darksaber so he must have gone there and got it somehow but do you think he has the manpower and the firepower to overtake that I mean he's he's riding around in the small I don't remember the proper name but the small Star Destroyer version and right. which I like it shows that he's not you know a huge part of the Empire you know Imperial Remnant he doesn't have a ton of a ton of firepower on his side
2: don't forget, in the previous episode, uh, Din talks about Mandalore being like a cursed place where people go to die. And of course, we're talking about after the Great Purge. The Great Purge was, you know, something incredibly significant, where like Mandalorians became rare in the galaxy. So that's a
0: good good thing to raise because we don't know really know what the Great Purge is. Think about that. True. We we don't know because at the end of Bogdan has the dark at the end of Rebels, correct?
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: So some, we see of it.
0: Yeah, so sometime during, possibly during the original trilogy, the Darksaber is lost and the Great Purge happens. And now we are where we are.
2: Right, and she's trying to get it back because I think she's trying to reclaim Mandalore. And since Mandalore is in the Outer Rim and Moff Gideon's entire fleet or whatever is also in the Outer Rim, personally, I think he does
1: have control of Mandalore. Yeah, it, it would make the most sense, but I just, um, I don't know. I'm sort of on the fence, but it, it would make the most sense since he has. No, I get, I,
2: I get where you're coming from. I totally, I totally get that.
0: The X-Wing pilot, we have the full scene of the pilot talking to Grief and the Mithril. And then we have the full scene of Moff Gideon on his destroyer. Dinjar yeah. knows nothing about any of those scenes. And that's the first time we've really actually seen a second story going on, which is fantastic that another story is finally splitting off. It's been just very interesting narrative-wise that it's just the one.
2: Right, and AJ, you know, you said that that was like one of the things that makes Star Wars feel like Star Wars.
1: Yeah, seeing what's going on elsewhere. um, I forget the proper film name for that, where the audience knows something that the main character doesn't. Matt, you may remember. Dramatic irony. Dramatic irony. Right. So we get that finally in episode, in chapter 12, is what we're on, right? We keep saying yep. that. Um, and we, we see what's going on with Moff Gideon, much like we see what's going on with Kylo and the sequels or Vader. It's, it's the classic, oh, what's the villain up to? And we, get, we definitely get a cliffhanger that he's tracking Mando and he has his dark strippers and it's a pretty badass ending with his theme blaring and all that. So do you think, we can start to speculate here going into the future, do you think um, Gideon and his boys... And girls will show up um, next week with when Mando meets Ahsoka.
2: Good question.
0: Possibly not right away. Like I think that we will get an actual um, nice scene of uh, Din meeting Ahsoka and and baby meeting Ahsoka. I think we'll get a nice actual scene. I feel like the scene eventually will get interrupted. I don't think that they would just have us like show up. We see Ahsoka from afar and then just like Gideon blasts in. No, I don't think they're gonna do that. It'll probably be towards the end of the episode. And we'll probably get like a full I'm Ahsoka. This is what I've been doing, kind of like episode. And maybe if I there's agree. anyone else like with her, and then and then we'll get more about Gideon and the current story. I feel like the story needs that. I feel like Ahsoka's story needs that. We all know Dave Filoni absolutely loves Ahsoka. She's his girl. That's oh, the yeah. other story there. We know that he's going to give her something that we're not expecting. Something that's going to blow us out all out of the water, and we're going to get the story of what she's been doing since she got pulled back into the timeline and then what's been happening since the end of Rebels, hopefully. Or we're going to be like, oh, this is what I'm going to tell you and I'll tell you the rest another time and that's going to be whatever that spinoff series is. But we'll see.
1: I get big vibes of... So, it reminds me of the sequel trilogy a bit. So, End of Force Awakens, Rey is going to the island where Luke is. And I've seen people make this meme of... Ray holding the saber out, and this over the saber it says uh, Baby Yoda, and Ray says Mando, and Luke is Ahsoka, so he's bringing something to a Jedi slash non Jedi slash Force user Ahsoka, and it's very similar to Ray kind of bringing the lightsaber to Luke, and a lot of fans after Force Awakens thought that you know oh Ray's gonna go there Kylo and the Knights around are gonna track them there and obviously that didn't happen but it's it kind of reminds me a lot of that
2: no i i agree and uh i've seen memes of then you know ahsoka taking baby yoda and tossing him over her shoulder (laughs) kind of deal where it's like rejecting baby yoda and saying like no i can't do anything with him and i mean i obviously i personally don't think that throughout the entire series baby yoda is going to leave the mandalorian side i don't think mandalorian is ever really going to find a home for Baby Yoda, as dark as that sounds. But I think he's already found his home. I think eventually the Mandalorian is going to, you know, learn not to be so violent in front of him because we already see that kind of wearing off. He chokes Caradoon. He's, you know, eating eggs and stuff. He's doing, you know, mischievous things.
0: And, And we also get the whole Din Djarin's character development of slightly lifting up his helmet to drink the broth with him at the same time, and we see his chin... And baby's face looking at him was so perfect because baby witnessed Bo Katan and the Night owls removing their helmets, and in that moment, um, baby was just like, "Oh no, you, you can take those off!" Like he had no idea. And so in this episode, uh, Din does remove his slightly, and baby's like, "Oh my god, I get to see your face!" But then it didn't actually happen. To see
2: his chin. So you
0: you you see like that slight excitement building up, and it's it's so adorable to watch uh, baby also learn it, but also it's so wholesome to notice uh did really just like turning into like a good parent and yeah baby has found his home with him already
2: and, and and i think that's the message of the show star wars has always really been about found family and i think foundlings uh can't be more on the nose than that in terms of you know din is a foundling baby Ode is a foundling and i think they found yeah, each the other. only
1: family you have here is me
2: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> to go off your point matt of He has already found his home, uh, baby Yoda, the child that is. I really can't picture. It's funny because Din is trying his quest right now is to bring the child home, or you know, find a place for the child. But it's weird he doesn't realize like he's not going to part with the child. Like it's basically his son at this point,
2: right? Like he loves that. He loves that little kid. Like he can't. He's already been like pretty possessive of him.
0: It also goes back to how much time has actually passed. And, like, it seems it hasn't really been that long, but the bond that they have with each other already is remarkably strong for, like, something that's only been a month. For sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, I have one additional bit. I was mentioning this, too. So every every week when I watch a new episode, um, I try to figure out which of my friends have, like, seen it first and whatnot, so I don't spoil it for them. And so I try to think of some sort of non-spoilery statement that I can say about the episode and be like, let me know when you watch it. So my statement for, like, episode 12 was, the Mandalorian is really catering to fans of all eras because we're getting references um, to the animated shows and the prequels. We're getting epi- we're getting references to the sequels with the whole cloning situation that's going on, but also obviously the prequels. But since it's literally an early Snoke, it's a it's a sequel reference right there. And then we're also getting references to Legends, something that we did not see coming. Which is insane, because we wouldn't really be expecting that right now. But it's interesting how they are picking the small pieces of Legends to actually tuck into new canon.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It's a little bit of everything for everyone. And, you know, I think most people are enjoying all of it. So that's a good point.
2: Yeah. Carl Weathers' directing was interesting. (laughs) I actually like uh, like how Carl Weathers directs his episodes of The Mandalorian. They're very action-oriented. They're very uh, fast-paced. Uh, who was I listening to who said that... Um, no, I can't really say that because of that. Alex, I wanna, yeah, Alex from Star Wars Explained said that it was like...
0: Uh, it was like a theme park ride.
2: Yeah, theme. he directs yeah. Star Wars like it's a theme park ride. Which, and which I, was
0: a really interesting observation, but it makes total sense. Great I totally agree
2: with that, for sure. Um, but he he definitely... He's definitely playing fast and loose. I like that. Personally, I don't mind that. We have the guy in the background, a uh, brand new character that everybody's been talking about, the most important character in The Mandalorian, who's definitely going to play in later on, Man with Watch. Uh, just absolutely brilliant um, placement. And I personally, I really like that. A lot of people kind of lose their minds about every little mistake in the movies and all that jazz. But personally, I actually really like the mistakes. I like picking them out in the background and... and you know, being reminded every now and then that these are movies and TV shows and people working on people are working on them, you know, just off screen, there's like 25 people standing
1: all around. It's not a huge deal. I mean, Harry Potter, we saw in Game of Thrones, there's the cup of coffee. So I mean, yeah, there's big, big scale productions that do that.
2: It's all just fun. I I, and I honestly just find that stuff fun. That's like part of Star Wars to me.
0: So thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Uh, We had a lot of fun talking about The Mandalorian, and we didn't even touch upon the whole, the chowder on tap on the planet of Trask. Like, that was incredible. We we didn't even talk about that. That's ridiculous. Well, well, whatever. We will see you guys next time, and thank you so, so much for the support. We cannot thank you enough. Join us next time on the Holland Up Marauders podcast.